Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 39 to 52. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is God's word. Uh, I want to just take a moment here as, uh, or before Brandon comes, uh, many of you may not know Brandon. Uh, Brandon Lutz is our student ministry director, student ministry pastor, however you want to say that. He was hired in October, and so he's not been here long, uh, one quarter of the year. Uh, And this is his first time preaching in this church. And, you know, as we were talking the last month or so, you know, hey, uh, you're going to be preaching uh, January 4th. You know, it'll be a light Sunday. There probably won't be that many people there. So no pressure. Uh, But in all seriousness, uh, we want to be the kind of place, and Drew has said this before, where Men who are learning the craft of preaching, who have not done it that much, can be welcomed to doing it, can be embraced as they're learning it, and the enthusiasm that your faces display to them, you know, as, as Drew likes to say, lean in, smile, take notes, nod your head, oh yeah, we get what you're saying, even if the jokes aren't funny or the illustrations don't fit. Absolutely, whatever you're saying, okay? As a way to encourage these men who are, like I said, learning this craft. It's a craft. It takes time. Uh, And so please encourage him in that way. Please welcome him. Those of you who've never met him, take the opportunity after the service to come and greet him. Uh, But uh, he's working with our students, and we're excited uh, that he is around and is planning to be around for a very long time. So Brandon, please come. Morning. Wow, you all listen. As Jonathan said, my name is Brandon Lutz. I'm the youth pastor here at Church of the Redeemer. And it's my privilege to continue to lead us through the series on Luke. And as we just read, we're going to look at the account of the boy Jesus in the temple. So this passage is pretty much every parent's nightmare. To lose your child, to lose your son, or to lose your daughter. Whether it's one or whether it's all of them. And it reminds me of a, a time last spring, we, lived, we came from South Carolina, and sometime during last spring in South Carolina, we had, the weather was beautiful. If you've ever been to South Carolina in the early spring, it's like 
high 60s, low 70s, right in the middle of the day. And so we had all the windows open, we had the back door open, and we kind of, we just let Carson play. He's our, he was a little less than two. He plays on our back porch, uses chalk, plays with his toys. And so I'm just getting some things done in the house, and we always have that back gate to the porch to the backyard. It's always locked, it's always shut so he doesn't get out. And so sometime that afternoon, I'm heading back to the back of the house, and I noticed that the gate is open. And so it's one of those moments where like everything goes quiet. Everything goes silent, and you can just hear your heart just thumping. And so I run out to the backyard, and I just take a quick look around our backyard. It's a pretty big backyard, maybe an acre or two, and it's, got, it's all fenced in. So I knew he couldn't get too far, but I immediately just make a lap around the backyard. I look at the fence. I'm trying to see if there's any holes he could have got out of, anything. So I finish the lap, and I don't see him. And so I'm back at the beginning of the porch where the stairs are, and I yell for Rachel, my wife. And as soon as I yell for Rachel... Carson jumps out of the bush right there and says, hi, Dada. (laughs) So for 15 seconds, I thought I had lost my son. Joseph and Mary realized they left Jesus and lost Jesus for three days. And get this, Jesus is the son of God. But this account of Jesus' life, it's not about Jesus staying back in Jerusalem. It's not about Jesus being lost. It's not about Mary and Joseph forgetting their son. But before we dive into what one of the few things this passage is about, I just want to say two quick things. The account of the boy Jesus in the temple, it's the only account in the Bible where Jesus isn't an infant or he isn't 30 or older doing his ministry. Jesus goes from being an infant, he's born, he's an infant, then he's 12 years old, and then he's 30. So what this tells us is that Luke must have heard this story, either from Jesus or either from maybe his parents, and he said, man, this story is important. I need to write this down because people need to know about this. And I think it's really easy to just brush by the story because he is just a boy. But Luke thinks otherwise. And then there's just there's a few misconceptions that can come to our minds as we read this passage. I just want to address the main one. The main misconception of this text that can happen is to say that Jesus sinned by not obeying his parents. I'm probably going to say this five times in the next 15 seconds. Jesus did not sin in this passage. Jesus was born without sin. Jesus died without sin. We could spend a whole sermon, a sermon series talking about this. We're not going to do that. But I cannot stress this enough that Jesus did not sin. If he sinned even once, if this was the only time he even sinned in his life, which he didn't, don't hear that, then his death on the cross would have been for nothing. Jesus did not sin, not even once in his entire life. So moving on, if you went and you asked your average American what it takes to get into heaven, what do you think the most common or the most general answer is? Let me make it a little bit more personal. If you were to ask your non-Christian, your non-believing family members, your friends, your co-workers, the people of Winter Haven, what do you think their answer would be to what it takes to get into heaven? I just need to be a good person. I just need to do more good things in my life than bad things. I just need to obey the law. I need to make sure I don't do those really bad things like murdering someone or raping someone. I just need to be a good person, follow the law, be obedient. And for those of us who are Christians, as we hear that, 
and we dwell on that answer from non-Christians, it should break our hearts. Because we know that being good doesn't save you. Being obedient doesn't save you. But unfortunately for many of us, obedience is a way to earn salvation. Many of us live as if being a good person, obeying God's ways, gets us into heaven. We may not say it out loud, but a lot of us live as if being a good person is what really matters to God. That's one end of the spectrum, where obedience is everything. On the other end of the spectrum is someone who thinks like this. You know that being a good person and being obedient doesn't save you. You know that only Jesus saves you. So this person tends to be very slack, tends to be very lazy, or just might not even care about being obedient, about following God's ways. Both of these views of obedience are wrong. They're both sinful. So this means that we need to come to what the biblical understanding of what it means to be obedient that makes God smile down upon us. Obedience flows from our identity in Christ. I'm going to say that again. Obedience flows from our identity in Christ. Only when we are completely relying on Christ for our salvation and our right standing before God can our obedience be out of joy and can our obedience be pleasing to God. When you find your identity in Christ, then our obedience flows out of our love and out of our passion for him. So this morning we're going to look at Jesus' identity, we're going to look at his passion for his father, and we're going to look at his obedience. And as we walk through this passage, I hope that you'll look at your own identity, try to identify some of the things that you make your identity, that you look at your own passion, try to see how passionate you are about your father, and also let's look at your obedience. Let's try to see what motivates your obedience. So first, Jesus understands and knows his identity. Our passage begins with Jesus and his family. They're going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. This celebration was a big deal in the Jewish culture and in this time period. So more than likely, Jesus, his parents, his family, his extended family, all the people in Nazareth that can travel, they're going to Jerusalem for this feast. So you can imagine this huge caravan of people traveling together. Some even suggesting that it's well over 100 people traveling together. So Jesus and his family, they attend the Passover feast, and when it's all over, they pack up their stuff and head home with everyone that's with them, over 100 people probably, except one person is not with them. Jesus stays in Jerusalem. So Mary and Joseph, they realize Jesus is missing, and they head back to Jerusalem. After three days, they find him sitting in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Jesus' parents, they went to him and they asked, why have you put us through such a scare? Why have you done this to us? And now usually when a child or a teenager is caught doing something wrong and they're getting scolded at or disciplined by their parents, how do they typically respond? Maybe they're very aggressive, I didn't do anything wrong or deny it, or I don't know if you were like me, it was like, oh, (laughs) yes, sir, I'm sorry, sir, won't do it again, I know it was wrong. And you're just afraid to look him in the eye because you know what you did was wrong. You know you didn't listen, you you didn't obey your dad or your teacher, whoever it was. But Jesus doesn't respond with either of these ways. Imagine Jesus looking right back at his parents, not aggressively, but just looking him right back in the eye. And Jesus says this, Why were you looking for me? 
Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Why would Jesus respond like this? How could Jesus respond like this? At this point in Jesus' life, as a 12-year-old boy, he has a clear and complete understanding of who he is, of what his identity is. Jesus knows he is the Son of God. He knows who his heavenly Father is. He has earthly parents. He's part of God's people. But first and foremost, God is his Father. Jesus wasn't lost. He wasn't hiding. He was right where he needed to be, in his Father's house. If you're a Christian, then your identity is found in Christ. At the deepest part, the deepest part of your core of who you are is Christ. But a lot of times we find our identity in just about anything else. When you go to meet someone for the first time, it's like, hi, my name is Brandon. Oh, and I'm a youth pastor. It's usually your name and then your job. Hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm an engineer. Hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm a teacher. So a lot of us tend to identify ourselves with our jobs. That's one of the ways we can identify ourselves. One of the main ways the world tries to identify us is through our sexuality. And what I mean by this is that sin is severely corrupted sexuality that has convinced many people, including us, including this next generation, your children, that your identity is rooted in your sexual orientation. That's one of the numerous reasons I believe our our culture here in America and, and probably in Europe too is so sexualized because everyone has been manipulated and trained to believe and think that their identity is rooted in their sexuality. And the list just goes on and on and on of different things that we can use to identify ourselves. But the question for us becomes, what does it mean that our identity is found in Christ? It means this. It means that you are a child of God. It means that the deepest part of who you are, what makes you, you, is that you are God's son and you are God's daughter. Think about an onion with me for a moment. Let's pretend we're all onions. I know it sounds really weird and really funny, but we're going to be all onions, and we're just going to start stripping away the layers of our onions. So we're slowly pulling off each layer, and each layer is something that we can identify ourselves with, that we tend to make the core of us, but it's really not. So we pull off the layer that says you're a mom. We pull off the layer that says you're a teacher. We pull off the layer that says you're a control freak. We pull off the layer that says you're that sin that you just can't seem to shake. We pull off the layer that says you're that woman who had an abortion. We pull off the layer that says the man who's addicted to pornography. We keep pulling off these layers until we get to the core of the onion. And what does it say at the core of who you are? It says that you are God's son. You are God's daughter. If you're a believer, then your identity is found in none other than Christ, and that makes you a child of God. So we've discussed that Jesus knows and understands his identity, so now we're going to move on to Jesus' passion. Jesus' identity led to his passion for his father. Jesus had three days without his parents in the city of Jerusalem. And where again did his parents find Jesus after three days? In the temple. 
When Jesus' parents realized that Jesus was missing, most believe that sometime during that first day, maybe around lunchtime and traveling back home. So they spend a day traveling back to Jerusalem. They spend the second day going through Jerusalem trying to find Jesus. And then sometime during the third day, they find Jesus in the temple. Almost as if the temple was the last place they expected to find him. I don't even think they probably went there to look for him. They were probably going there to ask people around, hey, have you seen our son? And they see Jesus sitting there in the temple. I mean, Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. What 12-year-old boy makes a choice to sit in the temple listening and learning? Would any of you, if you're 12, 13, 14, would you make the choice to go do that? No? You sure? Are you sure? So let me ask the teenagers a question. If you had three days of free time in New York City, let's say it's going to be safe, nothing bad can happen to you, money's not really going to be an issue, you have three days of free time in New York City, teenagers, where would you go? What would you see? Maybe you go see a Broadway show. You might go to um, a sports game, see the Yankees or see the Mets. Now, the Mets aren't that good. They're not worth seeing. <laughs> Some of you young ladies, you might go to a lot of the shopping areas, some of the malls. You've got so many options in New York City. You could go to the museum, Central Park, the Empire State Building, Ellis Island, the Statue of Liberty. If it were me, I'd probably go check out a lot of the local food spots. I love food. Um, the local pizza places or Chinatown to get some Chinatown food. But teenagers, students, how many of you would go to church in your three days there to sit and listen and learn? None of you. That's shocking. What about everyone else? Same question. None of you. Shocking. I know I wouldn't do that either, so don't feel bad. Jesus could have been goofing off. He could have been playing games with other children, doing anything else besides sitting in the temple. So what does this truth teach us about Jesus? What does this event that takes place in Jesus' life teach us about what he is passionate about? Jesus has a passion for his Father, for his Heavenly Father. And Jesus' passion for his Father comes from his identity as his Son. His identity is so deeply rooted that he is God's son that it's created in him a deep passion for his father. So a quick practical application for us here. I'm not telling you to go take a three-day vacation in New York and only go to the churches, um, only listen to Tim Keller for three days. But the more you identify yourself and view yourself as a child of God, the more you identify, identify yourself and view yourself as a child of God, the more you're going to want to know about him, the more you're going to want to be with him, the more you're going to want to be like him. So if you have zero desire to read God's word, you're probably not identifying yourself as God's son or God's daughters. And I'm not talking about the person who maybe misses a day or two or maybe even three and you're reading the Bible but you struggle to read it every day. I'm talking about the person who says, I don't care to read God's word. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. But you know what? Reading the Bible just doesn't matter to me. I'm talking to that person. If you have zero desire to privately or publicly worship God, to praise his name, then you probably don't identify yourself as a child of God. How you identify yourself is where your passions will be. How you identify yourself, it's where your energy will be spent, and it's where your heart will be. 
Jesus identified himself with his Father, and that created him a passion and a love for his Father. So now we're going to move on to Jesus' obedience. Jesus' passion for his Father motivated his obedience. Jesus' love for his Father motivated his obedience. After Jesus baffles his parents about needing to be in his Father's house, we read that Jesus went home with his parents to Nazareth and was submissive to them. What a letdown for Jesus. Jesus went from being, get this, he went from being in his heavenly Father's house in the temple of God to having to go back home to his earthly Father's house, a poor carpenter of Nazareth. Jesus went from being in the city of Jerusalem, the Jewish capital of the world, to having to go to Nazareth, the place where a lot of people said nothing good can come from this place. He went from having teachers of the law being so amazed and so impressed by his understanding and his knowledge of God and the scriptures to going back home to where there probably wasn't a single person who really cared to hear what he had to say, to hear his knowledge and to know his understanding. What a letdown for Jesus. You can almost expect Jesus to say, well, forget you, Mom and Dad. This is where I need to be. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't complain. He doesn't try to work over his parents. He doesn't try to bribe his parents. He doesn't rebel against his parents. He obeyed. He obeyed his mom and dad. He obeyed the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. And get this, Jesus obeyed because of his passion for his heavenly father. He didn't obey to make his heavenly father love him. He's so completely and fully rooted in his identity as God's son that this has created in him a love for his father, a deep, passionate love for his father. And it is this love and his devotion to his father that leads him to find joy in being obedient to his heavenly father by listening and obeying his earthly father. And this is completely backwards from how we tend to think. So many of us live as if we have to be obedient to God to find favor on us, for him to treat us as his sons and daughters. I mean, this is how the rest of the world works. You don't get an A-plus on an exam you don't take. You don't get a promotion and a raise at a job that you're not putting hours and days and weeks and months of hard work. What happened to Coach Muschamp, the, the Florida football coach, after three years of not living up to expectations? He was fired. I'm going to preface what I'm about to say next. This was prepared before Thursday. I'm not taking a jab at FSU fans by saying this. (laughs) If Jimbo Fisher wasn't taking the Seminoles to national championships, to undefeated seasons, and living or playing in high bowl games, what would happen to Jimbo Fisher? He would be fired. It's just how the world works. We live in a performance-based world. You only get what you earned. This is how the world works. But this is not how God works. God gives to those who know they have nothing to offer. God loves his sons and daughters because they are his sons and daughters. Not because of what they do, not because of what they don't do or condition of obedience to him. If We all know this. If God's love were based on obedience, none of us would be his children. For the believer, God loves you and smiles on you And it is this that should create in us a passion and love and should motivate us to be obedient to our Father. 
Are we going to mess up along the way? Of course we are. None of us are perfect. Sin is still in this world. It's still going to be a stumbling block for us on this side of heaven. But we still strive to be obedient to our Father out of our love and passion for Him. And I know a lot of times when you hear the word obedience, it just kind of has this negative connotation. Some of you might even cringe when you hear that word. Sometimes we even think that God's limiting us by creating ways for us to follow, ways for us to live in. But hear this. God doesn't create boundaries for us to be limited. But rather, he creates boundaries and ways for us to live so that we can thrive in him. Children often don't understand that their parents telling them not to jump on the couch isn't saying, hey, I don't want you having any fun. Saying, hey, I don't want you to crack your skull open when you fall on the floor. Teenagers often don't understand that parents giving them a curfew is them saying, hey, as the night lingers on, and unfortunately many of us know this, you get dumber and dumber in your decision-making process. (laughs) Men often don't understand that being faithful to your wives and not committing adultery, whether it's emotional, mental, or physical, is protecting us from the pain and the restlessness that can come through a falling apart or failed marriage and broken family. God has created boundaries and ways for us to live so that we might thrive in this life. And when we are obedient to his ways out of our passion and out of our love for him, because of our identity in him, we will thrive. And going back to our passage in the life of Jesus, What is interesting is that the men of the temple were so amazed at Jesus at the age of 12. How could such a young boy know and understand so much of God and his ways? But just over 20 years later, some of the men of the temple, maybe even some of these same men, are plotting to kill him for the exact same thing. And as Jesus approached the day where he would be crucified... He went to his father and he asked, if there was another way for the sins of your children to be forgiven, please take it. But God the Father said to his son, there is no other way. And out of Jesus' love and passion and dedication for his father, he stayed obedient to the plan set forth. He was trialed. He was declared guilty, even though he wasn't. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was crucified until dead. And right before Jesus took his last breath and said, he said this to his heavenly father. Father, we just sang this earlier. Father, it is finished. Father, out of my understanding of my identity as the son of God, as your son, and out of my love and my passion for you, I have done what you have required. I have been obedient to what you have asked. Mary and Joseph thought they lost the boy Jesus for three days. All of creation thought they had lost Jesus forever, for three days. But after three days of being in the grave, Jesus rose up. And because of his resurrection, we can now be children of God. And as 1 John 3, 1 states, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We're not just called children of God. We are children of God. Let's pray. 
Father, we so often have it backwards. Many times our obedience is our effort to try and find favor with you and in your sight. But your word tells us that there is nothing that we can do in order to be declared righteous. There is nothing that we can do to make you want to adopt us as your children. Still we find at times that we we lack obedience because of fear of living as if obedience is what actually matters towards our salvation. Help us to find that, that middle ground. Help us to find that middle area and rest in the truth that obedience flows from our identity in Christ. Only when we completely rely on Christ for our salvation can our obedience be out of joy and can our obedience bring joy and a smile to your face. Help us to always remember this truth that is so vital to our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So now please receive the Lord's benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.